Today we're talking about homeschooling and unschooling. If you like this content, hit the like button and subscribe if you want more. Due to COVID-19 lockdowns, many of us are stuck at home with children whom we must now primarily educate. Some parents may be worried that this change to homeschooling means that their kids will fall behind in class. Joining me to educate to explain, excuse me, why this isn't necessarily the case is Dr. Carlo Ricci, a professor of education at Nipissing University. Dr. Ricci is also a member of the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents, an organization which advocates in favor of homeschooling and unschooling practices in an attempt to remove the prejudice associated with them. Dr. Ricci, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. And thanks for asking me to be part of this. Thank you. So the first thing, parents will say about homeschooling is this is going to make my child socially awkward. Is this true? No, I think actually the opposite is the case. So I think that um, mainstream schooling really diminishes people's abilities to interact and to connect with mm -hmm. people in social ways. So for example, uh, within the mainstream schooling system, uh, you know, you have three-year-olds with three-year-olds, four-year-olds with four-year-olds, five-year-olds with five-year-olds. It's a very <clears throat> artificial type of a setting. Whereas in a homeschooling setting, you can have people who are three interact with people who are five and seven and 70 and so on. So the idea is that you can connect with people of different ages, of different um, interests and so on. And you could, you know, uh, socialize in a way that's closer, more closely aligned to the world that we live in. And, um, you know, uh, the other thing about homeschooling is it's not about locking people up in a room and making sure that, you know, uh, they stay isolated. But if, you know, one way of doing homeschooling is to connect to the world that we live in. So to get people to interact to, uh, with the community, with people in the community. And so um, I think that, in fact, homeschooling is a better way to socialize people than it is in the artificial setting of a classroom mm -hmm. where teachers are telling people what to learn, when to learn, how to learn, controlling all of the dynamics, the interactions, if people are allowed to speak to each other, connect to each other, help each other. So there are all these limitations within the context of mainstream schooling that homeschooling, uh, you know, you could do without any of those types of barriers to socializing. And that corresponds very much to my research as a layperson. I've looked at a few studies, and they all say generally that homeschoolers experience the same or even better social outcomes than their peers, which are in the public school system. So I, I think that's very true. Uh, now, before the program, yes, go ahead. Yeah, there's some research that also says that those who homeschool, they participate in their community more, they vote more. Uh, so there are a lot of positive outcomes that uh, result because homeschoolers are used to connecting with their community to doing things like volunteering. So as they get older, they participate and continue to participate in those types of activities as adults. That's weird because public schools ostensibly are supposed to increase civic participation, right? That's what we keep on yeah. being told that the public schools are meant to craft good citizens. But what you're saying is actually the outcomes for homeschooling are, are a bit better. Right. And, you know, schools are very undemocratic in the way that they're set up because they talk about democracy, but they don't allow people to practice democracy within the no. context of that environment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one way of doing homeschooling is to allow young people to have a voice, to be empowered. And once you have a voice and you are empowered, 
as a young person, you can continue that type of lifestyle as, you know, an adult. So there is a diversity of views within the homeschooling movement. It's not a homogenous sect of people just sitting down and you know, after Sunday school, they go and do their homeschooling curriculum. There's something called unschooling, for example, which is something that you've written about and advocated on behalf of. What exactly is unschooling and how does it differentiate from schooling in general? So um, homeschooling, you can see it as the umbrella term. And then mm -hmm. within homeschooling, some people follow a very traditional model, which, you know, mainstream school-like model, where what they actually do is they do what mainstream schools do. Some people go as far as creating a classroom in their homes with desks and blackboards and, you know, times for school starts at 8.30 and at 3.30. So it's a very uh, rigid type of a, um, approach. And unschooling is very different. Unschooling is allowing the young person to follow their own interests and passions, right? It's a self-determined approach where the young person, uh, or what I call willed learning, W-I-L-L-E-D, where the young person follows their will. They decide what to learn, when to learn, how to learn, and is very holistic in the sense that what does a five-year-old need to learn? Well, a five-year-old needs to learn whatever a five-year-old needs in order to live a fulfilling, authentic, genuine life in the moment, right? So it's very much about mindfulness. So whatever you need to learn is whatever you need to live your life in the moment. And uh, whereas mainstream schooling is very different, right? It's, it's trying to predict what somebody might need or not need in a future time. And so the advantage of unschooling is that it allows people to follow their own interest. I recently uh, read a, an article um, about a, a young skateboarder and it was absolutely incredible for the first time ever this 11 year old did, you know, I don't know much about skateboarding, but did a triple flip or turn or whatever uh, the term is for in skateboarding. And, um, you know, Tommy Hawk, who's a, you know, oh, yeah, Tony Hawk. skateboarder. Yeah. yeah, Tony Hawk, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're all impressed by the fact that this 11 year old was able to do this. And so the dad's not a, you know, a homeschooling mm -hmm. advocate or anything like that, but the interviewer just asked the dad, so what do you think it was that allowed your child to do for the first time in history, what no human being has ever done at the age of 11 and just off the cuff, the dad just said, well, it was COVID. So my son was home and mm -hmm. he had a lot of time to practice and do that. Interesting. So it's, you know, and, and it wasn't, I don't think the dad was purposefully trying to be critical of the mainstream schooling system, but was just making a point that the fact that the young person now had time to follow their interests, passions, their dreams to, you know, to take the time to do what it is that they're really, for the first time ever was able to do something that nobody else has ever done. So unschooling, I think, is a very powerful way to learn. And, you know, you have to think about it this way as well. Uh, what I'm sharing with you is not just, oh, that would be nice theoretically, but in practice, does it work? There are a lot of people who are doing this type of self-determined learning in practice, right? Including you and including me, including everybody else who's listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. We all live our life and learn things in ways that are outside of the mainstream schooling system, right? Sure. So Ivan Elich says, if schools are dangerous for no other reason, they're dangerous because they try to convince people that the only way to learn something is to go to an institution. And that's simply not true, right? Uh, we could all learn things. So what unschooling is, is, well, think about what do you do when you learn about whatever it is you learn about outside of mainstream school? Be mindful of that 
and use that it to learn anything else that you need to learn. And this is what we do as human beings, right? We're natural learners. Maria Montessori says the absorbent mind, right? We just absorb things. We learn things. And this is what human beings do. But one, I, I can think of actually two comebacks at this concept of unschooling. And these are, those are the following. One pertains particularly to unschooling. And that is this idea that at a very young age, a kid needs discipline and they need to learn to respect authority. And quite frankly, they also need certain foundational knowledge before they can even begin to self-direct in their learning. How would you respond to that particular objection to unschooling? Well, this is the problem with mainstream psychology as well. They've convinced mm -hmm. us that this is how young people learn, that learning is linear, uh, that it's developmental. Mm -hmm. You have to learn one thing before you learn another thing. And it's just not true, right? This is not how we learn things. Learning is messy. It's forwards, backwards, up, down, sideways. It's Tinkering. all over the place. Sure. And um, there's some research that shows that there's no critical period to learn any academic subject. So just to, you know, think about it. If you could learn something when you're in grade two, you could certainly learn it when you're grade 10 age. Um, and so there's no critical period for learning academic subjects, right? So you could learn anything at any time. And the best time to learn something is when you actually need it. And, you know, this notion of foundational knowledge, I cannot think of, and I'm not being flippant or anything, but I cannot think of anything at all that every single human being on the planet needs to learn, right? I mean, there are trillions and trillions of bits of information in the world, and somebody has decided that we have to learn these three things, for example, mm -hmm. right? Whatever the school curriculum is. But it's just not true, right? It's a myth. Um, and people could learn different rates, different things, and still have and be successful at contributing to the world that we live in. Even, you know, writing, for example, and reading are things that, maybe not every single human being has to learn. And we know that there are some adults, you know, Jacques Demare says he wasn't able to learn. He was a coach of the Montreal Canadiens. And so there are people even without those skills that we think are so foundational that absolutely, you know, well, reading, everybody has to read. Well, maybe we live in a digital world now as well with video. And so we could connect with people in very different ways. So to think that there's foundational knowledge that's essential for every single human being, I'm not sure I would agree with that. But you know, it depends on what your philosophy of learning is, your philosophy of teaching, your philosophy of schooling, and whether we're aware of it, each of us has a different type of philosophy. And if you're a positivist versus a post-positivist, right, or depending on what you, where you fit on a particular spectrum and what your philosophy of learning is, you will have different answers to that question. But unschooling is clearly, um, you know, on the side of messiness, not you know, nothing is foundational. It all depends on everybody uh, as an individual, if you want to become a musician or, you know, it's not anti anything, right? It's not, unschooling is not anti learning in a classroom. It's not anti learning uh, particular subjects. If your passion is math and you want to do math worksheets, just unschooling is a hundred percent on board for that, right? What it's, about, uh, you know, this is just a broader criticism of homeschooling. It kind of, presumes the existence of a stable household in a way, right? Because if you're going to keep the kids at home, you can't have a father, for example, who's an alcoholic at home who could be potentially abusive to the kids. How do you deal with that particular issue? Right. Well, I mean, there's research that shows that young people are abused more outside of the home than they are inside of the home. Interesting. 
life, right? Yeah. Um, and beyond that, I think, I mean, there's in no the, in the public school system. There, there. I guess you know it makes sense because you're with strangers and you're with a variety of adult strangers, sometimes in an unsupervised setting. Right, and you know, teacher abuse, and mm -hmm. and you know, all of these adults abuse children, and and children abuse each other, and there's all this tension and conflict often, and alcohol, drugs, like it's not a, it's a true. schools are not always a healthy environment, mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, in terms of of you know the dynamics of it, um, this is you know a lot of these questions I was asking myself when I was first trying to figure all this out, and. In terms of, of you know that that schooling and versus unschooling, um, you know, and the home environment, it really comes back to. Unfortunately, there are people who live in homes that are not the healthiest, and we know that those people are traditionally marginalized the most within the context of mainstream schooling. They do the worst, and they get um, you know the fewest opportunities, right? Because schools don't create opportunities, they actually limit opportunities. So mm -hmm. they prevent people from doing things that they want to do by acting as gatekeepers, grades, marks, you, oh, you can't get in, you can't do this, you can't do that. And we know that those people are the ones that are traditionally marginalized. So we have to do something for people that are not in a good home environment, for sure. But the solution isn't to send them in an environment where then they continue to be abused, right? Mm -hmm. We have to think of another space. And there are certain schools that I like. There's democratic schools and free schools, um, you know, like Framingham, Massachusetts. There's a school called Sudbury Valley School. There's North Star as a resource center for homeschoolers. Um, you know, there are all kinds of, of, you know, different places and spaces that are more democratic, that are, you know, the Albany Free School and, um, and so on. So there are examples of schools that are much gentler and that are, um, you know, better examples for what we do with these young people. So no doubt, you know, some people have rough home lives and that's something we need to address. But sending them to mainstream school isn't the solution, right? We have to think of a better uh, solution for where people who are being marginalized uh, are not continuing to be abused when they go into the mainstream system. What about educational outcomes? And this speaks to an insecurity, I suppose, that parents might feel in themselves. A lot of parents, if they're deciding that they're going to be homeschoolers, they think, oh, I don't have a degree in education. What do I know? You know, I don't have a four-year degree that they now use to, to teach school. How can my kid attain the same educational level as a kid who's in the public school system, who's in a traditional school system, Aren't they going to fall behind? Aren't they going to be uh, uneducated, for lack of a better word? Aren't they going to be ignorant? Well, I mean, there's research around that as well, mm -hmm. right? So they look at people who have PhDs and are homeschooling and people who don't even have a high school diploma that are homeschooling. And at the end of the day, regardless of whether you have a PhD or you didn't complete high school, your children do just as well within the context really? of wow. mainstream schooling. So again, there are a lot of myths yeah. around learning. and you know, some of the assumptions in the question that you asked it are, you know, how do these people achieve and do the curriculum of schooling? Well, you know, the advantage of, of unschooling, for example, is that you get to thrive and flourish in things that you're really good and passionate about, right? So it's not a one size fits all and that everybody has to do whatever. 
So, you know, think of people that you know that are athletes, people that are, um, you know, John Taylor Gatto uh, talked about, uh, you know, think about different professions in the world that we live in from an economic perspective, even those who've contributed to the world and have done really well for, you know, in creating all these kinds of things. A lot of them are school dropouts, right? So, yeah, Abraham example, Lincoln. Well, and, you know, people who founded fast food industry, people who sure. founded computer industries, a lot of people within the entertainment industry, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, to make this assumption that you need to go to school in order to learn these types of things is just not something that's consistent with what we intuitively even understand about how life works. But if I'm a parent and I care about my kid getting a traditional education, will homeschooling hurt them? Absolutely not. I mean, there's, again, evidence around people who homeschool, they do just as well on SATs and ACTs. And once they get into post-secondary institutions, they do extremely well because post-secondary is very uh, much aligned with homeschooling, right? That's you true, actually. On your own. Yeah. So a lot of what you do in post and I've actually taught a number of um, students in a graduate program because I teach at a faculty of education in a mm -hmm. graduate studies program. Um, so I've had students that were homeschooled their whole life and you know they seamless right they do just as well and if they didn't say to you oh I was homeschooled my whole life you wouldn't know right mm -hmm. and there's some interesting studies too around how quickly let's say a homeschooler wants to go into a particular program and has to have a particular you know set of courses from the mainstream schooling system in order to enter a particular program even in a rigid system like that it's amazing how quickly homeschoolers are able to gain all of that knowledge that people had or you know be successful in courses for example in math when they really haven't taken any formal math courses in their whole mm -hmm. life and within three months they'll figure out exactly what they need to do and it comes extremely quick right it shouldn't be surprising to us. Once you're a particular age, if you're really interested and motivated and want to learn something, if you didn't learn, let's say, math from grade one to grade eight, and then you hit grade nine and you think, well, you know, I really need to learn this stuff. It's not going to take you that long to learn that whole curriculum. If you could, you know, sure. imagine uh, the one to eight curriculum when you're 14 years old, you'll pick it up pretty quick. So, um, you know, they, they do extremely well in life and in post-secondary. It varies, right? There are people who go into medical, there are people who go into the arts, farming, music, hmm. all kinds of different professions from the mainstream, uh, from homeschooling. That's fascinating. I'd like to pick up on something that you talked about earlier about uh, traditional schooling and public schools. And public schools, it seems to me, the kind of authority and discipline, a little bit of ar an artificial uh, sort of discipline, I think from what I was reading, it, it's kind of supposed to resemble a factory. Is that right? Like the way the current school is set up is a product of a post-industrial revolution mode of thought in schooling. And it's supposed to essentially train students to be compliant workers as opposed to being creative, self-actuated individuals in the society. Well, it's really interesting, right? And you just have to look at the history of schooling, right? So schools have mm -hmm. only been around for about 150, 200 years. And schooling is a failed experiment, right, in my mind. So they mm -hmm. started in Prussia, and then people like Horace Mann in the U.S. and Ryerson here thought, this is brilliant. They've actually created a technology 
that allows people to control others, minds, bodies, spirits, and emotions. So they want to bring that into our own world so that we could then control people's minds, bodies, spirits, and emotion. That's the history of schooling. It was never about freedom and liberation and democracy. And uh, in fact, Horace Mann, uh, who created this schooling system for in the U.S. or introduced it to the U.S., uh, homeschooled his own children, right? So mm. um, there's so this they knew notion. what was going on. They knew that their project was to essentially mold a compliant population. Right, absolutely. I think, you know, and, and when you look at the quotes and the reasons for why they're doing it, again, it's not about freedom and liberation, but it's about controlling people's minds, bodies, spirits, and emotions to get them to be compliant and to get them to fit into a particular worldview. And so this is the history of schooling. We see it even today, right? So within the mainstream schooling system today, young people are told what to learn, when to learn, where to learn, how to learn. Mm. So in terms of their mind, their bodies, they're told when they can move, when they can speak, when they could, you know, they have to ask permission to do all of these types of things. So this, this type of control um, and this type of very undemocratic approach is so clearly evident in the world that we live in. This is why we even have truancy officers, right? So yeah. it's not that when school started, it was like, you know, the introduction of, of the iPhone or something and everybody wanted one. It's, this is absolutely brilliant. This was more of a, you know, people stay away from it, right? Uh, there was violence when school started where, you know, people didn't want their children in some cases to be taken to the school mm. system because they knew that it was so different from their own worldview. And you have to remember that all schooling, whether it's here or, you know, in, in other countries, um, it's not neutral, right? There's always a, it's always political. So there's always it's always contentious and it's from a particular perspective trying to, you know, um, that results in a, a particular worldview, right? So when, uh, and schools are used as a mechanism to control people even today, right? So if you look at what's happening in China, look at what's happening in yeah. Hong Kong now, look at what's happening in Turkey, uh, look at what's happening in, even in the US, right? President Trump's talking about how, um, you know, the, the schools are indoctrinating and uh, the students, right? Because it's against his particular worldview and philosophy Then he's talking about. So there's a recognition that schools are powerful tools that are used to control. And when, you know, mm -hmm. Mao regime came in in China, they suspended schooling because they had to retrain the teachers into a new mindset worldview and to get them to you know, to, to teach the young people to comply to the new worldview and the new system, right? And China's doing it now with the Uyghurs in, in you know, the Muslim population there where yeah, they're it's putting them horrible. in camps, right? Mm -hmm. Education centers. So education has a dark history and still has a dark, uh, a dark underside to it. You know, homeschooling, when a lot of people think about it, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I get this, but a lot of people think of homeschooling as, oh, these are just a bunch of Christians or maybe Orthodox Jews or maybe Orthodox Muslims who are doing homeschooling. Religious people, right? Very devout religious people who think that the school system is instilling secular values that are at odds with their particular traditional worldview. But that hasn't been historically the case. I mean, if we look at the history of homeschooling, and I just looked at it on a surface level, really, but 
if I even just look at it on the surface level, it looks like a movement of the left originally with academics like John Holt and Raymond Moore claiming that the classroom environment is redolent of an oppressive factory. This is the language of sort of the 1960s counterculture revolution, which is very skeptical of government intrusion into the lives of people and communities. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this history and how homeschooling as a modern movement came about? Well, even today, the demographics of homeschooling is varied, right? So people mm -hmm. homeschool for very, very different reason. Um, I work for, I do volunteer work for the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents. And I field hundreds and hundreds of calls a year from, from wow. you know, people who are interested in learning more about homeschooling. And some people, they come into it thinking right from the time their child is born, I know I want to homeschool. Other people want nothing more than your, their children to be happy within the context of mainstream schooling. So they've mm. done everything the school system has told them to do. They've, you know, um, put them in special classes, whatever was asked of them in order to make their young people uh, hope that, you know, parents fortunately mostly love their children, right? And they want nothing better for their children, for them to be happy and focusing on their well-being and all of these different things. And so, um, Unfortunately for many, it doesn't work out that way. And their children are not happy, they're struggling, they're trying to figure out um, what to do. Uh, and the parents are beside themselves. They're trying everything. They want their children to be happy, but they could see that their children are being wounded by the schooling experience. And so they you know, go on their computer, something called homeschooling. Some of them don't even know what it is. Uh, can you homeschool my child? I heard, you know, they think it's like a school that you would go mm -hmm. that's different, uh, not recognizing that it's something that parents do on their own. And so, you know, the demographics of homeschooling is varied. So there, there are people who come to it knowing that they want to do it all along. And there are others that do it for different reasons, right? So maybe they don't like the curriculum. Maybe they don't like the schooling environment. Um, you know, people might come to homeschooling, uh, you know, because their children are struggling in the mainstream system and they just want something better for them. So there are all kinds of different reasons and the demographics is, is varied. And there are, you know, there is research that shows that increasingly uh, the number one tip for why people homeschool is not for religious reasons, but for curricular reasons or for, mm. because they think they could do better because, you know, they love their children and their children they could see are being wounded. So there's all kinds of different reasons for why people. Is there a lot of diversity within homeschooling? Is there a lot of, for example, immigrant or minority representation in that demographic of homeschoolers? Yeah. So in the U.S. now, um, there are a few studies that show that the demographics of the homeschooling is actually increasingly reflecting the demographics of mainstream schooling. Mm -hmm. So whereas people might think, oh, it's, you know, rich white people who are homeschooling or something like that. The demographics now for homeschooling is that it reflects the proportion of, you know, diversity within the mainstream school system mm. in the homeschooling population. So, you know, number of Hispanics and black homeschoolers and so on and so forth, right? And, and there's an interesting article I, I also founded and um, edit the Journal of Unschooling and, um, Alternative Learning, which is a, an academic peer-reviewed journal. And there's a piece in there by a psychologist from the UK. And what he did essentially uh, was he looked at 
people who are school refusers, right? So young people just didn't want to go to school for whatever reason. And the traditional solution to that is to medicate them. So he was thinking, you know, just to be brief, what if we did something else? What if we homeschooled? Like what happens? And what he found is that as soon as people started to homeschool, they started to heal. And even in Amazing. my work with the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents, like parents who call me back after and say, look, thank you very much. My child was really unhappy, was, um, you know, starting to, to insulate themselves. And now I can't believe the transformation, right? Mm. Once people are in places and spaces where they feel empowered and happy and so on and so forth in control, where they have a voice, they have a say, where they feel comfortable and confident, they just start to heal, right? So uh, the conclusion of that paper was that he was thinking, well, instead of being, you know, saying that, oh, your child is a school refuser, doesn't want to go to school, let's give them medication. What if we offer parents at least, there's also another thing you could try, which is homeschooling, which is successful in helping people heal. It's amazing. You know, everything you've been telling me so far doesn't seem super controversial. And yet there is a lot of hostility in mainstream society towards the idea of homeschooling. It's almost like you're abusing your kids or something. Why is there this hostility in mainstream society towards it, do you think? Well, I, I think it's increasingly becoming normalized because more and more people are doing it. There mm -hmm. are about you know, 200, 2 million homeschool uh, schoolers in the US, in Canada, anywhere between 40,000 and 100,000. It's hard to know exactly the number because not everybody registers. And so, um, and you know, part of it I think is school is something that we're, many of us have gone throughout our life. Mm -hmm. This is what we see in the world that we live in. We've been told uh, that school is equals learning and that if you don't go to school, you won't be successful in life and all of these types of myths. And uh, it's what a lot of people do. So, you know, I'm doing it. So it must be, you know, the thing to do. And if you're not doing it, there's something weird about you or strange or, you know, so I, I'm not sure what the psychology is, but that's my scent. And when I first started learning about homeschooling, again, I had all of these questions, right? What are these people like? I don't, I've never met a homeschooler, so I, I didn't know, you know, so. But once you start connecting with the community, understanding and meeting with the people, all of those perceptions, misperceptions, biases about what people are like just seem to go away, right? Mm -hmm. Because you recognize, wait a minute, these people are healthy, they're happy, they're articulate, they're productive, they're, you know, they're social, they're, you know, and on and on and on. And so when people say, oh, homeschoolers are X and Y, you think, well, wait a minute. I met one homeschooler like that, but I met like a thousand that were not. So, sure. Yeah. And, you know, it go goes back to our discussion too on, on sociability in a way, because like, yeah, I, I meet some homeschooled kids who are unsociable. But my question is, if you put them in a school environment, would they be any more sociable? I'm not necessarily sure that's true. You know, I think uh, they might even withdraw even more into themselves. So who, who can say? Actually, have there any, been any randomized trials on homeschoolers? I, I, this is probably very difficult to do, right? Because you can't just randomly yeah. assign people for a long period of time to being a homeschooled versus a traditional or I don't want to say traditional, but public schooled kid. Right. It's very difficult to do any type of a scientific study mm -hmm. on homeschooling population, especially since we don't know what the denominator is, right? Mm -hmm. So if sure, you don't yeah. know how many people are doing it, 
then it's almost impossible, which it is, to sort of even pick a particular group and mm-hmm. say, well, this is because we don't know where they all are and we don't know um, yeah. how many there are. So That's true. it's very difficult to do that type of research around it. But, um, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff. So if a, kid, if a kid, excuse me, if a parent decides that they would like to try homeschooling, it, it just seems like they are up against a brick wall. Where can they turn to for help? Where can they go to find resources? Because if you're going to start, let's say, with a five-year-old or a six-year-old at home, how do you start them learning how to read? How do you start them learning how to count and do math and so on? It seems like this is a very complex pedagogical subject, even just for a five or six-year-old. Right. Uh, actually, yeah. So it's very simple. And I think you know a lot of people already have experience with that, right? Because as a parent, uh, if you're a parent or a caregiver, you've already spent time doing that, right? Maybe from age one to whatever before, mm. if they didn't go to preschool, if they didn't go to school. Uh, if you look even at, um, you know, a situation in the summers, weekends, uh, school breaks. So there are a lot of times where you already do spend that time with your young person. And there are a lot of myths around, uh, you know, the, that you have to go to school in order to learn any of these types of subjects. So in terms of literacy and numeracy, for example, as an economist, what you need as a mathematician, you know, to be a math uh, in terms of math is very different than what I need in terms of math sure. to live my life, right? So what's important is that you're really good at the math that you need in order to live your life. So there's not one type of math. And even as an economist, I'm sure there are other economists, what they need in terms of math is very different than what you would need in terms of math, right? So even within, you know, that particular community, you would think, oh, all doctors or all economists or all, you know, physicists would need this type of math, but they don't, right? In actuality, different people need different types of literacy and numeracy to live their life. And uh, the interesting thing about that is that, um, you know, I am not very skilled at school math, but mm-hmm. I've never had an interest in it, right? It just, yeah. it's, I didn't, I've never uh, felt that it was, so I'm not very good at school math, but I'm absolutely brilliant at life math, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, what's more important is that I'm really good at the math that I need to live my life. Mm-hmm. So even as a five-year-old, you know, what type of math would a five-year-old need? Well, they need maybe to learn how to work an oven if that's what they do, if they cook or bake, or if they wanted to work a remote control. And, you know, you'd think, well, a five-year-old cooking? Well, you know, my child, both of my girls, you know, they learn right from, Interesting. you know, as soon as they started, as soon as they could, they were helping out in the kitchen and they would cook wow. for themselves and bake and, you know, do all of this kind of stuff. And it's just, they never had uh, anybody tell them that, no, you can't do that. Right. But, mm. and so they always participated, not knowing that, you know, because they're children, they're not allowed to do A or B or C. And, and they've by doing always that, they're actually learning in an integrated way. Or just in a natural, authentic way. Yeah. Right? It's authenticity and learning and another interesting thing about literacy is my youngest daughter um, didn't go to school at first she decided to homeschool I took her to school and that day she said to me dad I don't I don't want to stay here and I said well if you don't want to stay we're not staying and we just came right back home and she didn't go for a few years my oldest daughter did go to school because her friend who lived across the street her best friend in the whole world she was going so obviously she wanted to 
you know, go because her friend was going and that was the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And when my daughter started school, she was yeah. able to write. And I said to people, um, when she starts schooling, her writing is going to diminish. And people thought, well, this is impossible, right? If she could write before she starts school, how could she not be able to write when she's in school? Sure enough, uh, as she started school, you know how they teach learning, because you mentioned how they teach reading and writing. They've got the line sheets with the dots in the middle. And yeah, so she, she's used to writing on blank paper. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to make a letter A, for example, for the first mm-hmm. letter of her name, you know, three sticks, one up, one down, one across. Um, and so she was able to do a lot of that. And as soon as she went to school, all of a sudden now there's rules and regulations, right? So when you make a P, do you make the stick first or do you make the circle first? How big does it have to be? Where does it have to fit within the line? Do you go clockwise or counterclockwise? You and I might not know this, but a junior kindergarten teacher would know exactly what the rule is around mm-hmm. doing this. So all of a sudden, something that's very simple to do, like a circle and a line, becomes convoluted with all of these rules and regulations that are confusing. And so this is how schools teach a lot of things. Rather than make it simple, natural, authentic, connected, you know, write your name on this card because it's somebody's birthday and you need to learn to write that way or whatever it is, right? And the other thing is that schools insist that people learn things at particular times. Unschoolers don't do that. So you could have somebody who learns to read at four, somebody who learns to read at eight, somebody who learns to read at 12, and there's no stigma attached to it, right? Because um, one of my friends who unschooled um, his son, he didn't learn to read until he was, I forget if it was eight or 10, and he was a big hockey fan, uh, a hockey goalie, Patrick Raw wrote his biography. And so he wanted to read that particular uh, autobiography. And so that's how he learned how to read. He just struggled. So we do it backwards, right? First, we teach them this abstract thing called reading, and then we give them something interesting to read. Whereas there's another way of doing it, right? And every single person learns to read in very different ways. So even my daughters learn to read in very different ways. So it's just a matter of allowing them to, um, you know, empower themselves and to focus on whatever it is they need to focus on. They know what needs to be done in order for them to decode these types of things. It's interesting you say that because, you know, this is the way that I guess somebody learns a language. There's only so much you can learn from reading a textbook. You can learn maybe how to conjugate verbs and so on. But if you're actually going to learn a language, at some point you have to get out there and you have to talk to people. You have to go uh, to the bar and you have to strike up a conversation or you have to, I suppose, read a book that you're interested in reading, right? And that's that's essentially, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's essentially the philosophy behind your uh, idea. Right, Nur- natural emergent, right? And yeah. Just, and it's funny you mentioned languages because I could speak five languages. The language wow. I could speak least five. well. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, and it's just through immersion, right? So yeah. Italian is my first language. Uh, Portuguese, my babysitter was Portuguese and people I hung out when I was younger so if I wanted to eat and learn I just naturally learned how to speak Portuguese amazing uh, English right through and then the language I could speak least well is the one that I learned in school from you know 10 years of my schooling which is French right yeah so, French is not um, taught very well in the public school system at all <laughs> yeah well it didn't work for me uh, yeah. as well as and and I'm clearly capable of learning different languages because I could mm-hmm. speak them 
but it's just through natural immersion and being immersed in those particular environments where I just naturally pick them all up. Mm-hmm. Whereas the disconnected nature of the school curriculum in French just didn't yeah. resonate with me. Yeah, there was I, no need. I agree. There's no real, yeah, the, there's, and they don't really make you integrate that learning. It's not like you're doing anything natural with it. It's very much a rote textbook kind of way of memorization, which I agree with you. I don't think is the right way, at least not to learn languages. So now we have COVID-19 and a lot of parents for, you know, better or worse, they are forced to homeschool their kids. They have to sit down with them. They have to teach them. They have to work around their own work schedules in order to do it. You know, sometimes they have two uh, parents who are working. Do you think that after parents see what their kids are learning in school, there is going to be an uptick in the number of parents who decide that we're going to continue homeschooling our kids. I don't know. I mean, that's an abstract question that I'm really not sure I could, um, mm. I could guess. I know but, I'm, you know, I'm my, asking you, obviously my impression is crystal ball. Yeah. 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 yeah my, my impression is that I yeah. probably not. Right. I think that, you know, this is a unique situation and people are recognizing that it's a unique situation and they're, they're thinking that once this situation is over, then they're going to introduce their, you know, young people back within the context of mainstream schooling. Well, uh, so, I mean, I mean with I'm the sure uh, Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents, do you guys see any more calls to your organization because of COVID or any uh, outreach for help from parents? we haven't noticed an influx of calls uh, mm-hmm. as a result of COVID. Um, I mean, there are certain times of the year where, um, you know, parents reach out because it's, you know, the natural order of how things happen within the mainstream school system. Um, but uh, not because of COVID, there hasn't been, you know, like a, an increase in number of calls that we've been receiving to my knowledge as a result of, of that. And, um, you know, that I think it's important that parents recognize and start to feel confident that, you know, there's no critical period to learn academic subjects. All they need to do is just embrace the time that they spend with their children, love their children, and they will naturally grow and go in directions that people had absolutely no idea, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you know, Michael Jackson's parents, for example, you know, when he was young, the mom tells a story of how he would just dance to the beat of the wash machine, right? When mm. he was a baby sitting on the floor in front of the wash machine in his diapers. And so, you know, there's just something innate that allows people, you know, there, there's a nice image um, that um, the uh, founder of the Circle School shares in, in his recent book. And basically he talks about, uh, you know, it's not new, but he reintroduced it. Uh, So there's three ways to think about schooling, right? Um, Fill a bucket, which essentially means that, you know, the teacher is there to fill a bucket. So the young person's just empty vessel. And then the teacher comes in with all this knowledge and sort of fills the bucket in the children's mind. Um, And then there's another that says schooling should be about lighting a fire, which, you know, the teacher's job is to get young people excited about learning and, and, you know, uh, really, uh, create an environment of, of you know, excitement in that way. So it's both of those models are very top down. There's another that says, well, learning should be about fanning a flame. That's a teacher's job, not to fill a bucket, not to, you know, do this lighting a fire, but to 
simply fan a flame, right? So just recognize mm -hmm. the power and the, you know, whatever the young person has and help them in a very loving, caring, trusting, respectful, compassionate way uh, to allow them to unfold and become whatever adult that that young person will uh, bloom into, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's a, um, you know, that's closer to the unschooling model, right? This whole notion of fanning the flame and supporting and loving and nurturing and caring and so on. Fascinating. So you're with the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents. Where can we find your organization online? Do you guys have Twitter? Do you guys, you guys have a website, obviously, and I'll put all of these in the description box to, below. Yeah, so uh, the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents is a volunteer group. There's a 1-800 number. There's um, a website and email that people can reach out to us and, and ask whatever questions they need. Uh, often, as I mentioned, I feel many calls from people who are interested in homeschooling, want to learn more about homeschooling, who are homeschooling and have issues. Um, and in Ontario, we're very lucky. Some places homeschooling is still not a legal thing to do, um, but in Ontario, it's you know very low-level regulation, very mm. supportive, very friendly for people to homeschool in Ontario. And do you see that staying the same for the foreseeable future? Yes, I certainly uh, don't see why things would change. Uh, things you know are working well, and uh, you know the it's been going on for a while, and um, you know there's no reason for why it wouldn't continue. Fantastic. So thank you so much, Dr. Richie. This has been a fascinating conversation about this um, alternative learning model. And uh, if you're interested in homeschooling and you're listening to this podcast, then check out the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents, especially if you live in Ontario and you're looking for resources on homeschooling or unschooling. Uh, Dr. Richie, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed our time. Have a good one.